let's invite Bob up here. Uh, this is going to be our first Sunday together, and I'm really excited about this series we have, Rediscovering Jesus. And we were kind of putting our heads together, thinking about what we wanted to do this semester. And we felt like we really wanted to hit the gospel and get back to the basics and really think about the ramifications for the life of Christ. Who was he? Are we viewing the gospel accurately? And all the ways that we can live that out. And so we're really excited to begin this exploration together here tonight. So, Bob. Thanks, Josiah. Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to turn my back to you and go up and get a stool and a music stand. Okay? And when I do that, I want to see a whole bunch of people have moved forward to this section because I'm lonely. Look at all those seats. You guys, come on, okay? Right? Please. It'll make me feel better. I'm going to go up here. You come down there, then I'll start. All right? You can do it. Come on. I'll go really slow. Yes, I feel better already. Thanks. Really, thanks. That, that's great. It just makes it feel so much better and fuller and everything like that. You notice we uh, started in here. Um, how many of you are back from last year? Quite a few. Okay. There's a whole bunch of people who aren't here yet, and we're waiting for them. And there's all those chairs for them out there, and it's going to be your job to get them here. Really, seriously, I, I say that in all seriousness. We, we're back in the sanctuary, and we want to pack this thing out. We really do. And we want you to be the catalyst to make that happen. We want you to tell people about Connection on campus and bring them. As soon as all this pre-dorm meeting stuff is over, let's get people in here. Let's fill the space up. It's a great space, uh, especially when the band gets to going uh, and we get lots of voices in here. It's a great thing. I've got a little bit of a dream um, that I'm going to share with you. I've got a dream that Connection on Sunday night will be more full in this space than second service Sunday morning. Okay? That's my dream. If, you've, you're, if you're interested in my dream, help me make it happen because I know we can. It's been that way before, and I know it can be that way again, so help us make it happen. Um, that's, that's the goal going forward for this year, at least in my mind. We've got a lot of goals, but I'd love to see this place packed out. Um, and one of the reasons I would love to see the place packed out is because, quite frankly, I think we've got great things to talk about. Uh, we're talking about the Gospels, but we've got a team of people that's talking about the Gospels. It's not just me up here every Sunday, thank God. It's Josiah and Dan as well. And we tag team in terms of teaching and thinking about the Gospels. But more than that, for those of you who were here last year, we want you to realize we're going to continue the other part of our format, which is Q&A at the end, right? Uh, Or to begin with, in this talk tonight, I want to remind you of a theme that we came up with a few years ago, and it's this. We don't have all the answers, but we refuse to ignore the difficult questions, right? We refuse to ignore the difficult questions because we know life has difficult questions and faith has difficult questions, and we want to be in it with you, talking about it, giving you what we can. And you've got a wealth of experience in front of you uh, when it comes to those difficult questions of life. Um, 
you know, everybody else who's gotten up here before now is older than you are. I'm older than all of them. I mean, you've got lots of life experience from an old guy like me to a young guy all the way down to Josiah on this staff. And we're all committed to trying to figure out what to do to help you grow in your life with Christ. So use us and abuse us, I think. Anyway, use us. We're here for that. All right. Uh, every Monday, whoever's speaking here on Sunday night will be over in um, the Union, uh, the Starbucks Cafe part over there, uh, to talk and answer any questions you have. Uh, Josiah's over there a lot more than the rest of us, but whoever's speaking on Monday night will be over there, and he'll be over there other nights throughout the week. So what about this series on rediscovering Jesus? Well, if you have watched anything in the news over the last three or four years, you've noticed that rediscovering Jesus is a theme that kind of reemerges from time to time. And recently it did reemerge in the public eye. And part of the way it reemerged was through a thing called the Jesus Seminar. A group of scholars got together and they said, I put scholars in quotes uh, because I'm about to say something else about that. They got together and they said, you know, as a matter of fact, there's a lot of words and deeds that Jesus said and supposedly did. I wonder which ones of them are true. That was the basis for the conversation called the Jesus Seminar. Which ones are true? And so they got together and they decided which ones were true. And it was just a few of them. A very small portion of the sayings of Jesus, they said, were really true. They were a part of a larger history called the quest for the historical Jesus that's been going on for a long time in scholarship. So to begin the rediscovery of Jesus for us, we wanted to acknowledge the difficult question about the Gospels. Or the title of my talk is, setting the record straight. So let's start this way. I'm going to begin by putting myself in the position of being asked a question. Somebody says to me, um, why do you believe the Gospels? Uh, they say that to me because they believe it to be true. I mean, after all, I've given my life to this stuff, and why else would I do it? So somebody would say to me, why do you believe the Gospels? My first question, I mean, my first answer to that question would probably be something like this. I'll tell you why I don't believe the Gospels. I don't believe the Gospels because they're inspiring. Okay? I don't mean they're not inspiring. They're inspiring, all right. But that's not why I believe them. There's a lot of poets that are inspiring. There's a lot of music that's inspiring. But I don't believe the poets or believe the music. I don't believe Shakespeare. I'm inspired by them, but I don't believe in them. So the first thing to say is I don't believe the Gospels because they're inspiring. That's not the basis of my belief. So the question might be, so why do you believe the Gospels? And my answer would be, I happen to believe the Gospels because I think the Gospels are true. That is to say, I think they are accurate, an accurate portrayal of the life of Jesus. That's why I believe them. That's really 
straightforward and bland and dry and boring, but it's true. That's why I believe the Gospels. Second question this fictitious person might ask me is a follow-up question, a really good follow-up question. It would be something like this. Well, but why do you believe that they're true? You said the reason you believe them is because you believe they're true. Now tell me, why do you believe that the Gospels are true? And to that, my answer would be, you might expect, I believe them to be true because I think they're reliable testimonies of what happened. I actually think they communicate the truth of what happened with Jesus. And the reason I believe that they communicate what truly happened with Jesus is because there's enough evidence to convince me that Jesus said these things. Between the Gospels and the, large, the larger communication and testimony of history. That's why I believe the Gospels are true. Then someone, this person, might say, but isn't testimony, like human testimony, kind of flimsy? You're telling me that you base the direction of your life on this? You've redefined your reality because of this? Isn't human testimony kind of flimsy? Yeah, it is. It is. But it's all we've got. I don't mean it's all we've got as Christians. I mean it's all we've got as it relates to the history of the world. The history of the world is not a test tube. The history of the world is testimony from people concerning events. Plain and simple. Now, of course, moving with you guys in the 21st century, there's going to be some history that we didn't used to have. It's called real live pictures and all that kind of stuff. I get that. But still, human testimony is at the basis of history. As a matter of fact, all of history depends upon it. And most of us believe large segments of human history that have less testimonial evidence than the testimonial evidence concerning the gospel. We do it routinely. When the gospels were written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and tonight I'm just going to focus on a couple of words of John, they were written by people who understood the problem. They didn't crawl out from under a rock. They weren't cave dwellers. They were smart people. And they knew that when they said that Jesus did this and that, performed that miracle and rose from the dead and all that kind of outrageous stuff, people were going to say, are you crazy? What about this testimony? Why should we believe you? Right? They knew that was going to happen. And as a result of that, on occasion, some of the gospel writers said things that indicated they understood this. And one of the things that said comes in the gospel of John. It, it reads like this. It's near the end of the book. He'd written all about Jesus, and near the end of the book, he put these words together. He said, this disciple who testifies, he's talking about himself, this disciple who testifies to these things, the stuff concerning Jesus, who wrote them down, we know that his testimony 
is true. Or put it another way, John's saying, I'm putting myself out there. I was there. I saw it. I know it's true. That's all I've got. Believe it or not. Peter did the same thing. Uh, another disciple who was close to Jesus. Um, Peter made this statement on one occasion because people were wondering about whether or not, you know, the Gospels could be trusted. The word back then was probably oral tradition. It wasn't even written yet. And he said this to people who wondered. He said, we do not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received honor and glory from God the Father, for he received honor and glory from God the Father, the majestic glory, and we were there, he says, when this happened. When in majestic glory God said this, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. We heard this voice. We're testifying to it. We know it to be true. Now, um, the disciples were aware that some people would doubt them, and they put themselves out there and said, I'm telling you what I saw, trust me or not. Okay? The disciples understood what history was about. That's what it's about. Trust me or not. Now, having said that, um, I want to remind you of something that maybe you know or maybe you don't know. I refer to what I just said a moment ago. Large portions of world history are accepted to be true with less evidence than we have to accept the Gospels. Is there anybody, uh, David, you don't count, you, you know too much about history, but is anybody in this room who knows what this would be impressive if you know this. January the 11th, 49 B.C. was. What happened January the 11th, 49 B.C.? See, even David doesn't know. Nobody knows. You know what it was. You just don't know what happened then. Because if you studied any history, you know what it was. You've heard about it. It's the date that Caesar crossed the river Rubicon. Now you say, well, I don't know, was that 8th grade, 9th grade, 10th grade, where, where did I hear that? You heard it somewhere along the way. You might not have been listening, but you heard it. And the reason you heard it is because it was an incredibly important date. And why was it an incredibly important date? Because when Caesar crossed back over the Rubicon, okay, the river Rubicon, he declared, he wasn't Caesar yet, he declared a civil war that actually sort of began the Roman Empire. If Caesar hadn't done what he did, declared this civil war, and become the Caesar that he was destined to be, if he hadn't crossed the river, history says it would never happen. He threw down the gauntlet, went across the river and said, here I stand, let's do this thing. And the Roman Empire was sort of born. Now, I would challenge you to go to your history books right now, okay? And see if you can find even three pages that tell you why they believe Caesar crossed the river Rubicon January 11th, 49 B.C. If you find it in one of your history textbooks, please bring it to me. I want to see it. Because you're not going to find it. Why are you not going to find it? 
Because everyone assumes it to be true. Is there good reason to assume it to be true? Absolutely, I believe it. But you know what the evidence for the truth of that statement is? Well, let me run through the evidence. Or maybe I should say the lack of evidence. Caesar, in all his memoirs, never claimed to have crossed a river, especially not one named the Rubicon. There is no manuscript, eyewitness testimony, to Caesar crossing the Rubicon. There was one eyewitness that four historians have relied upon to transmit this story to the rest of the world. Four historians relied on the testimony of one witness to transmit this message to the world and that message might be absolutely accurate, but there is no manuscript evidence for that message. What I mean by that is that this eyewitness apparently pinned, wrote down, Caesar crossed the Rubicon. And nobody has any ancient manuscripts of that testimony. None. That doesn't make it untrue. It doesn't even make it unlikely to be true. But on the other hand, if you have something that's a huge mountain of manuscript evidence, wouldn't you expect that probably it's true? That's what you've got when it comes to the Gospels. You've got an enormous mountain of manuscript evidence. Is it possible that all of that's not true? Yes, it is. And it's possible that the manuscript that we don't have concerning Caesar is true? Yes, it's possible. Is it likely? I don't think so. Just based on the, based on the weight of evidence, I'm more inclined to believe not the Gospels over Caesar, but the Gospels in addition to Caesar. I think it's really good evidence that Jesus said what he said. Um, I'm going to stop right there because that's just like pedantic, right? It's like all about history and numbers and all that kind of stuff. Not one manuscript for this event about the Rubicon. There's something like 25,000 to 30,000 manuscripts. That means handwritten copies of copies related to the Gospels themselves. Huge. Significant. Different. The point is this. I, you guys are going into a world, especially an academic world, that routinely will challenge your beliefs. And sometimes the challenge to your beliefs is going to be, you really believe the Gospel stuff? That stuff about Jesus? Where do you come from? What rock did you crawl out from under? You don't have to win the argument. Okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not prepping you for a battle. All I want you to know is you have really good reason to believe this stuff. It's true. It's really true. There's actually 
more historical reason, in my opinion, based on the way I read history, for the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus than the life and death of Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle all combined. That's just the way I read history, and I've done a bit of it. You have reason to believe, and it's good reason to believe, that what we're going to talk about are the words of Jesus. They're true. I, I want to give you one more testimonial, okay? Um, this is... I hesitate to put it like this because it sounds like I'm just talking about myself too much. But there's another reason I want... Uh, to say something about this is because I've been where you are, okay? I've been in a place that routinely suggests that maybe what I believe is not true. And you don't need to give up when you come to that. You don't need to give up. I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised to believe all this stuff. And I did. I went through my periods of doubt, uh, serious doubt in college and wondered whether or not they were true, these things. And, and um, went to college and went off to grad school. And then, then I decided to do more school. And um, with what I had had as, as a history teacher from high school and having a little graduate education, I decided to take my young family... Um, my daughter was almost two, and my son was almost four, and put them in a van and moved to New Haven, Connecticut, leave my teaching job behind, security there, and go do more graduate studies. So I went to Yale University, and even though I was studying theology, there were plenty of people, large numbers of people, faculty and otherwise, who really thought the Gospels were pretty unreliable. They were inspiring, good stuff, man. They could make your life better. But for the most part, most of it probably wasn't true. And quite honestly, I said to myself when I went to Yale, I want to be in that environment and I want to see why. Why do I believe it? Why don't some of them? I spent seven years in New Haven, left Yale with two graduate degrees, later went to Princeton for another. I've been in that world. And in all of my studies, with all of my professors, I don't mean this as, as a joke, and I don't mean it to brag. I haven't come this close to doubting the Gospels. You know why? Because they didn't give me enough reason to doubt. I believe. And I believe so confidently that there's only one thing that can undermine my belief. It's the lack of evidence. It's absolutely something that's not the truth. That could undermine me. 
And I went in with an open mind. Show me the evidence for why I should doubt what I believe. And I walked out far more confident of what I believe. Now, not everybody did. But I did. And so can you. You can walk away from whatever conflict related to the truth of the gospel and you can believe. And you've got good reason to believe. Really good reason to believe. I uh, end with this. Um, this is kind of a you know sterile academic setup for the series, but I think it's important. I hope it is. Dan's going to speak next week. I, I, I end with this. Um, there's another reason I believe. I don't believe just because of history. I studied history, and I don't believe just because of philosophy. I studied a lot of philosophy and taught that too. There's another reason I believe. Because the power of the gospel changed me. It just changed me from the inside out. And it gave my life meaning. A meaning I couldn't create on my own. And it gave me hope. A hope I couldn't generate on my own. That's one of the major reasons I believe. Because the gospel is so deep inside me that it transformed everything about me. There's power in the gospel. If you walk into it, if you believe it, if you accept the invitation to believe it, it'll change you. I've been at ECC for 15 years. And the students that were here um, 15 years ago are gone, right? They looked like you. Young and restless, sorry. That sounded like a sitcom TV show or something. They, they look like you. And 15 years later, they're out in the world. And they're all kinds of places. But in 15 years of working with students, I've never had one student come up to me and say, Bob, I want to tell you something. I found true meaning in money. I found incredible meaning in my career. Oh, some people have said that, but they haven't come to me and said it like they want to convince me that that is the center of their life. The people who follow Christ, who believe the Gospels, say this routinely. It makes no difference where I am, what I do, what my current reality in this present world is. My meaning resides in the truth of the Gospel in Jesus Christ. And that meaning is eternal, and it redefines my reality no matter where I am. And that comes from the Gospels. It's the good news of hope. And it's life. Right? And that's why we want to talk about it. Because we want to rediscover life. I discovered life a long time ago in Jesus. I want to rediscover it again. And I want to be on a journey with you to do it. And we're going to start in the book of John. And I can't wait to walk through it with you.
along with Dan and Josiah. So thanks for being here. Your commission is to bring back 10 people with you next week. And if you do, it'll fill up fast, right? And to help them get excited about rediscovering Jesus and what he means uh, to us and to our world. And that's all I got. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you um, that you're the God of the universe, but also that you're the God who revealed yourself in Jesus Christ. And when you did that, Lord, uh, you told us about yourself in a way that we could never have understood just by looking into the Scriptures. We thank you that those Scriptures are true, that it is the revelation of God, that it is the gospel, the good news for all time. But we especially thank you, Lord, that there's something mysterious about these Gospels, that in them you live, and in them you breathe life. So we pray, Lord, that this, this semester you will help us to digest them, to take them in, not just to our minds, our physical bodies, but deep within our spirit, and allow you to transform us from the inside out because we believe the Gospels. And we'll thank you for that. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.